I don't know how you felt when you walked in here, but I want you to hear this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I want you to pause for a moment. Consider what salt does. To pause for a moment. Consider what light does. What do these things do? What are you invited into this morning? Father, we pray that by your spirit you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear you, to see you clearly, to hear the words from your son Jesus, that we are the light of the world, we are the salt of the earth. I don't feel like either one of those things most often. And I think probably some of my friends are with me on that. God, would you reveal to us what we already are? What we already are. So many of us, God, are trying to be something. (laughs) trying to become something, trying to white knuckle and muster and claw and scrape. We do it in our relationships. We do it in our workplace. We do it with our friends and our family and our neighbors. God, would you reveal to us not something that we have to become, but something that we are. Would we hear good news this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to dive right in. Check out Matthew 5, picking up in verse 13. It says this. Jesus is speaking again. If you're not familiar with the context, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. Actually, most famous sermon maybe in human history. It's the Sermon on the Mount. That one. Yeah, that sermon. This is right in the middle of it. Jesus has just given us the, what's called the Beatitudes. We kind of talked about that last time and what that meant. And he kind of subverted all of our power structures in that. He kind of turned everything upside down. This series from Matthew is called The, the Tales from the Upside Down Kingdom. And in Jesus' first inaugural words of this sermon, he takes all of our assumptions about who's powerful and who's in charge and who's connected, and he just turns it right, just flips it over. So that's kind of the context. And then he goes on to say these audacious things. Check it out. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I have a love affair with salt. I love it so much, too much, way too much. You all should pray for me, worry about me on the salt intake. If that's a thing and a problem, I have it. I have a big problem with that. When I think about salt, I think about, there's three things that I think about when I think about salt these days. The first is, when was the first time that you learned there was salt in cookies? Anyone remember this? And how it changed everything? Like the world, it's... Before I knew that salt had cookies, cookies had salt in it, and then after I knew that cookies had salt in them, I, I, I don't know if people just grow up with this as common knowledge. I did it. I think I was an adult. I really do. Um, before I actually looked, they're like, you didn't make cookies? With your, what's the matter with you? I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't realize. Maybe they snuck it in. I just didn't see. But that first moment when you found out that this thing that you have loved your whole life and the audacity that salt would be in it was just mind-blowing. Anyone else just blow their minds when you find that out? It was amazing. It was such a, such a, a critical moment in my food knowledge. Another thing I think of when I think about salt is this last Christmas. Summer's made caramels a couple times. And she made these caramels from scratch, which is, I mean, great. And 
I ate all of them, you know. So she made these caramels, and they were in the kitchen, and she had cut them up, and I had put one in my mouth, because of course I did. And it was great. It was sweet. It was caramely. It was perfect. I mean, she just, it was perfect. But she hadn't salted them yet. I don't know if you've ever had this caramel without salt. It's an amazing thing. Something that we love, right? We love caramels. We put salt on caramels. She actually went through and put the salt. And she's like, hey, try this. I'm like, that's a whole different thing. That's not the same thing as that other thing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about food. When Jesus pulls, if your mouth is watering, you must be like me. But like, I don't know if you notice when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, you're supposed to think about what salt does. And what does salt do? Salt is a preservative, yes, but mostly it enhances flavor. Salt is never by itself. Like if you've got a guy or a gal who's just there eating salt at the table, like call someone. That's a bad situation. You never eat salt. It always goes with something. You are the salt of the earth. Salt always goes with something. You always go with something. Salt doesn't exist for itself. It exists for other foods. You don't have salt as a side. It has to be mixed in. It has to get in there. You know when it's done right? When a salted dish is done perfectly, do you even know it's been salted? Really? You know like when there's not enough salt in something, you're like, that's bland. I noticed that there's not salt. When it has too much salt, me and popcorn, oh, another love affair that you gotta know about. Like, you make the popcorn, you make the popcorn on the stove, you put the butter in there, and then you just take the big thing of salt, not the little shaker. You take the big thing with the thing that pulls up, you know, the metal thing, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you just dump it on there, too much, always, you too much. Someone will eat my popcorn that I, we have to salt ours separately. Two bowls, two different methods, because I oversalt the popcorn. Like, you know when there's too much salt in something, you know when there's not enough salt in something. Do you ever taste something and you're like, Wow, that's perfectly salted. Probably not. Probably not. Because if it's perfect, what does it do? It helps the other things dance. It helps, it helps the broccoli come alive, if you can believe it. It helps the rice come alive. It helps all of our, it helps the cookies come alive. We are the thing that makes life taste better. You are the seasoning in the lives of the people around you. We were meant to help each other. We were meant to spread life and connection around us, not darkness and pain. In your circle, the people that you are a part of their lives, that you are surrounded by, you are their salt. (coughs) Central to the message of Jesus is that we are plan A, and there is no plan B. There is none. He said, he doesn't... He'll, he'll say later, I, you know, I'm the light of the world. But he's already told us that we are. You know, he's, he's telling us this over and over again. And by the way, is this like his advanced degree sermon? Like, are people, have they been with him for years and they've taken the classes and they've checked all the boxes and they've prayed all the prayers and they've done all the stuff and now they're, this is like their, their graduation speech? This is the first speech. This is the first message There's no hoops to jump through to be salt of the earth, friends. None. It's an announcement. It's not you are if you fill in the blank. None of that. You are the salt of the earth. It's not a maybe. It's not a possibility. You are. 
Now remember that the thing, the only thing that Jesus has really said in Matthew before this is the Beatitudes, yes, but before that, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here and right now. He's not talking to people who knew this before he said it. He's not talking to those. He's talking to those who have forgotten. They've never realized what they are. Consider for a moment how incredibly true these words from Jesus are. We are separated from these words by several languages, by an ocean, by thousands of years, by roughly a hundred generations, by several layers of culture. And yet the people that Jesus is talking to will record and embody his message, will spread it all over the world, and it will transcend all places and times. To this place, and to this time, and to you, and to me. You're a part of it. You're a part of it. But for Jesus, and I think we got to really kind of come to this for the first time. Wholeness, blessing, mission are not the destination of our journey. They're the beginning of the journey. Jesus' announcement to you is not jump through hoops to get right. His announcement is you've forgotten who you are already. If that challenges you, it should it should. It's not about mustering what you should be. His, his warning will come after an announcement of who you are. Don't lose who you are. Stay connected. Stay salty. I mean, he says this. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt isn't salt. If it's not salty, it's nothing. It's nothing. In the same way, if we're going to claim to follow Jesus and we don't, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The message of grace is trampled when it's just hypocritical and it's not that at all. Jesus didn't give us these words so that we would go and create a religion around them. He gave them to us as an announcement of who we really are. So who are you? And who am I? And when you look in the mirror and you look at that mug, what do you see? And when you look at your life, what do you see? Do you see a list of failures? A list of things you should have done? A a litany of missed opportunities and mistakes? When Jesus looks at you, he sees the salt of the earth. I mean, do we believe that or not? And if you don't, would you hear the good news today? Look at what he says next. It gets better, if, it, if you can even imagine, better than a salted caramel. You are the light of the world, he says. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. This little light of mine, right? Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Everyone in the house. You folks are the light of the world. When you hear this, do you look around and go like, really? This is it? Like, this is, this is what she got? Yeah, that's exactly what he's got. And half, maybe more of the problem is that you look around and you go, this is all you got. Because he has everything. Because he has you. And he has me. And he has all of these lights of the world that are meant to shine like stars and to light the way for other people. What does the salt do? It gives taste. What does light do? It shows us the way. It shows us the way. Good Bible nerds will think, will hear this phrase and they'll be caught off guard because you think, wait, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I love this. 
I love that he says both. <laughs> I love that he says I'm the light of the world. But I, like you are the light of the world. You're made to reflect my love for you and for everyone. This thing didn't really begin with Jesus. It was never really meant to end with Jesus either. His first acts are to tell the good news that John told, to demonstrate that news, then to pick up friends to share that good news and embody it in the world. And now he's teaching them. From the beginning, Jesus looks to empower the people around him. We worship him as a savior, as the savior, yes. But from the very beginning, he's always turning it outward to other people. From the very first, he says, hey, come follow me. From the very, he talks about you being the salt of the earth and you being the light of the world. You were made to light the way, each of you, each and every one. Some people think that you come to Jesus, you come to faith, you come to God just to get the lights turned on. But it doesn't end there because you are the lights turned on. You matter. And it's not about self-importance, it's about realizing our identity as the kids of God. If you're lit up and you're awake and you're connected, you cannot be hidden. You will light the way. I want you to think about your life. Because we can hear a message and we can look at the scriptures and they're fantastic. But think of your life. Do you make the lives of the people around you taste better? Because that's who you are. You know, if, if you hear that and you're like, no, I don't. Like, I, might, I, I can think of people where I put a bitter taste in their mouth. I put a sad taste in their mouth. I put a sour taste in their mouth. I know I do. And you might look at that and you think, well, I, I, don't, I don't measure up to that. Your problem is the very foundation of that. And Jesus says to us, says to you and says to me, I, like, whatever you feel, whatever you think, this is what you are. So how does he want us to shine? Look at verse 16. He says, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way as you put a lamp in the middle of the house, you don't light a lamp and put a blanket over it. You let it shine, you let it give light, you let it give direction to all the people in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your kind of light shine. You, the light of the world, were meant to let your kind of light shine. The light we already heard it described by Jesus in the first part of this chapter. When he says, connected are the merciful. And connected are the peacemakers. And connected are those who are hungry and thirsty and willing to fight for righteousness. Connected are those people. At peace are those people. Happy are the people who look at the world and mourn at the brokenness of it and put their life into making it whole. He's already talked to us about what these good deeds are going to look like. He's not hyper-specific, but specific enough that you know in your life where you are making things whole, where you are bringing peace, where you are bringing what's right, where you are bringing mercy. Let your light shine. And when you do, and when you do, people will see. And when they see, they're not going to see you. Do you notice the incredible inversion that happens here? That Jesus comes with an announcement about you, and at the end it ends up being not about you? Exactly. Exactly. 
He comes with the announcement. You are the light of the world. You are meant to help people's lives taste better and help them be able to see the next step. And when they see the next step because of your love, because of your good deeds, and yes, they are your deeds, your words, your kindness, it'll end up not even being about you. It'll end up being about God and his love, the love of the Father, your Father. It's, it's worth notice, noticing here that Jesus says your Father in a way that's revolutionary. God wasn't really addressed as Father yet, commonly. And Jesus will blow the doors wide open on this. Our Father in heaven is a pretty new thing for Jesus to say that he's going to say in the next chapter. A way for us that he makes. A way to our Father in heaven. Notice that the light here is good deeds. Notice Jesus doesn't say, let your good devotional habits shine. Nothing wrong with devotions, guys. Notice he doesn't say, let your good sermons shine. Notice he doesn't say, let your church attendance shine. He doesn't say any of that. He says, let your good deeds shine. Your good deeds. And yes, it'll involve words. But the emphasis in the language here is on the way these things are done, the way that kindness is done. There is a, it turns out there's a right way and a wrong way to do good. That later Jesus will tell people not to do righteous things so that people will see them. There is a good deed that draws attention to the person doing the good deed. Do you hear me? There's a way to live and to try to do good in a way that you're trying to prove something. Trying to prove something to someone else. You're trying to prove something to God. You're trying to prove something to people sitting around you. Prove something to your family. Prove something. And there's a way of doing good that proves nothing. But that just shows the way to God. Shows the way to his love and his grace and his mercy for all people. There's a way to live. A way to speak. A way to talk. A way to act. That shines that light. And that shows that way. There is a way to do a good deed that draws attention somewhere else. And now the next couple verses may seem like an addendum after that epic, just mind-blowing good news. But I wanted to include this in our time in Matthew today because I think it's important that we realize the context of this. That as we're making our way through Matthew, if I'm a good Jewish kid making my way through Matthew by this point, and I've seen that he's just turned everything upside down, and then he goes and he says, you're the salt of the earth, and he says, you're the light of the world, a thought's going to occur to my mind, and the thought's going to be, are you trying to do a new thing? Are you trying to do a new, are you trying, are you trying to create a new religion, Jesus? Because all that you're saying is so provoking and so radical, and you're drawing these crowds out into the wilderness. What are you doing here? So he tells us. Look at what he says next in verse 17. He says, Do not think, because they would be thinking, <clears throat> do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In the language, to literally fill them full. To fill the Ten Commandments full. To fulfill full the word of the prophets for let justice flow. And let mercy be done on the earth. Let God's kingdom come here. He says he's going to fill that full. For truly, I tell you, literally for amen, I tell you, what we end prayers with, he begins with. I tell you this, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Until everything is accomplished, he says. 
He has come, and this is a mysterious phrase, but he has come and he reminds us, he tells us this thing that could be considered brand new. It's not. It's not. It was true before, it'll be true during and forever. This isn't new news. It's as old as Genesis. It's as old as the patriarchs and the matriarchs and the prophets. It's as old as your existence in the mind and imagination of God. Jesus doesn't come to get rid of anything. Not a stroke of a pen, apparently, he says. Not one, I, not one little part. He comes to restore everything. He comes to fill everything full, full of obedience and realization to embody everything. It is a reconnection with the news that's always been pumping in our chest, the news that we've always been hoping for, waiting for. He takes the scripture seriously and earnestly. He takes the Old Testament scriptures seriously and earnestly. He is a person of the book, and he invites you and me to be people of the book. The Old Testament was Jesus' Bible, and it's ours too. The only image that we have in him in his childhood, in Jesus' childhood, which is a topic of much mystery and wonder for people for thousands of years. What was Jesus doing as a teenager? I want to know. The only image that we have of him is as him being a young boy arguing, not arguing, discussing, <laughs> but he was a good Jewish kid, so there's a little bit of arguing going on too. Like, he was talking about the scriptures with adults, a precocious child, talking about the Old Testament with his elders. His first command is to do what he does, to take the words of God as food, to live them out, and to help others to live them out. Let me have a nerdy aside here for just one second. Will the law disappear? I just want to hang, let that hang. Because Jesus suggests that at some point it will. Heaven and earth will disappear. Like there'll be a new heavens. There'll be a new earth. It'll be realized. At some point, I think what Jesus is saying here, yeah, you won't need to go to a book. You won't have to look up the laws and the regulations. You won't have, there will be no wondering about it because we will be like him because we will see him as he is and we will be his full grown kids someday. So it says in verse 19, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Will they still be in the kingdom of heaven? It's a good question. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We don't set aside the Older Testament. We don't teach others to set it aside. Jesus places himself squarely within a tradition. Whoever practices and teaches the spiritual and ethical life of the Old Testament will be great. He says great in the kingdom. The way, the new way of things is what he says to us. And then he says this shocking thing. Shocking to his hearers thousands of years ago. Shocking to us if we will let it be and if we will hear it in our own time. Look at verse 20. Our last text for today. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, you are these things. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven couple questions here. One, are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law listening to him give this message? 
Because if they are, it got real awkward, real, 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 real fast. Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the most religious people of Jesus' day. They were the pastors, the Pope, the religious leader, the Bible study leader. They were, they were it. VIPs, very important religious people. And Jesus has the audacity to say that unless you are more righteous than the religious, unless you are more righteous than those who are teaching the law, that you're not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Think of how Jesus' hearers would have heard this. They would have heard this that unless you are healthier and more connected than the pastors, this is a place where that's not really a high bar at all, but in their day, like it was a bar, a really high bar, more healthy, more connected than the Pope, than the Bible teachers, than the people who go to seminary. The reason this is so upside down is that the teachers of the law were obsessed with getting the details right and missing completely the heart of the matter. It actually wasn't crazy for Jesus to suggest that they would be more righteous than the righteous because the righteous weren't righteous at all. They were just arrogant. They were just using religion as another way to control people and hurt people. That's what they were doing. That's what we do. So Jesus has good news for us with a warning, but good news, but a warning, both. At the same, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You all were meant to make the lives of the people around you taste better. You are the light of the world. You are the way that they will... I want you to think of your enemy or frenemy. I want you to think of the person that you have the most struggle with right now. And maybe you live with that person, okay? Who's the person you have the most struggle with? Jesus is saying to you and to me, you are meant to help their lives taste better. You are meant to help them see their next step and to see the way. It's not that we go into our prayer closet and pray that God would just change their heart. Right? He changes our hearts and he moves us to get involved like salt, to work our way through the dough, to work our way in, in, in this, into the cracks and the crevices and to do good things that we could all be another step closer to our Father in heaven. So how do you see yourself today? How do you see yourself? How do you, when you look in the mirror, the mirror of your heart, right? What do you see? Do you see salt and light? Do you see hypocrisy? Is there somewhere you need to come clean and come close to this? This morning, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's take a second. Let's just focus. Let's get quiet for a second. Let's see if we can hear. I'm going to try to keep it simple. Let's make it personal too. Whose life needs to taste better in your, in your life? in your world. Can you think of someone when I say the word bitter? Maybe their life tastes bitter. Maybe their life tastes sour or sad. <clears throat> Who is it for you? What about light? Is there anyone that's in the dark? It can look like a lot of things. Maybe they're in the darkness of loneliness or addiction. 
Maybe they've lost their way. And you've been asking God to light their way. What would it look like for you to be the light? What would it look like for you to be the salt? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Father, would you give us some faith today to believe what your son Jesus is telling us? That maybe you'd give us some doubt of the inner monologue, the voice that tells us we don't matter or that we've ruined it or that we've lost the plot or that it's too late, too hard, too far. God, will we hear your voice today? God, for the people in our life that their lives taste bitter. Their lives taste like sadness. Would we be able to be salt? Salt, just not, not showy, not flashy. Let's make their life taste better. Give us the kinds of things we could do, the kind of deeds that we could do that would really help their life taste better. For those that are in the dark, wandering, lost, just like us. God, that we could come alongside people and help light the way. Just help light the way. Father, some of us have come to this and we were just hoping that we could get our own stuff sorted out. God, would you give us a much bigger view of our lives? That we could be loved so that we could love, that we're served by your son Jesus, that we could serve, that you are our light so that we could be light. God, for everyone hearing my voice, would you weld this truth to their hearts, that we might be your people, that we might follow you, and that we might lead others closer to you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's for his kingdom's sake that we pray it. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us. Come back for more in Matthew. If you're giving an offering as part of your time with God, the box is in the back. We love you. Have a great week.